Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 21. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person who's living the life of ministry, whether you do it informally or as a vocation. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians, which is the whole book about it. Uh, Let me encourage you to click the button in the show notes that says subscribe. Let me tell you what happens. If you do that, it'll send every new podcast to you automatically in your email box. So you'll get it as soon as it comes out, even if the iTunes app or your podcast player hasn't updated things, or if you haven't, you know, I don't always go back and check my uh, my subscriptions, but, you know, I like those email notifications that says, hey, click right here, and you'll get the podcast. All right, well, this is money lesson number four, and I believe it's the last one. It's different from all the other ones. All the other ones were about, you know, the personal application of uh, how God has given us two different financial systems to be a blessing to us and a safety net and to encourage us. Okay, that's all the last three lessons. And if you missed those, I think you really ought to go back and listen to them because Paul's got some really encouraging things to bring to us. This lesson is totally different. This is about handling other people's money, okay? Handling money that others have entrusted to you for some other cause. This is ministry money. This is, depending on your role, this may be church money. And uh, we, we all know the background again from the, for this passage. There's been a national a natural disaster and also some persecution and the Jerusalem church uh, to whom all these people owe a lot because they were the ones who began gospel missions work. And so the gospel has come to uh, this part of Greece and uh, they've just heard that the ones who sent them the gospel are now impoverished. Their their uh, you know starvation is a very real possibility for them. So they are rallying to get this big offering up to send some relief money. And Paul writes his church. We're in chapter eight, uh, verse uh, seven. Paul writes them and he says, "Hey, I want you guys to abound in this grace of giving. I mean, I really want you to put your back into it." And do your best to be great givers. And since Paul expected the churches in the region to respond and to create a substantial pool of cash, he immediately began to institute a system of financial controls because he wanted to guard against the power of money to damage ministry. And also he wanted to make sure that all the money given did go as far as it could to meet the needs of others. I think it was Jack Hayford who said, it's not our job to make people give, but it is our job as leaders in ministry to take what they do give and get as much ministry as possible out of it. Well, we need a little background understanding of money. Um, money is at least volatile. Um, you know, volatile is like, a, like gasoline or something. It, it's at least volatile. I think actually Jesus teaches that it is more than that that it's actually charged with dark spiritual energy. And you might expect Jesus, because he taught that, to say, avoid money, but he doesn't. He says, take it. Take unrighteous mammon and force it to do God's work. But that's not a small thing to manage. Uh, Let me lay down two things before we even get into Paul's passage here. First of all, we need to understand, because I have been in the stewardship of other people's money for 35 years now, and I've done it in the developing world, okay? So a couple things we need to be aware of. First category, money can hurt 
the people you're trying to help. The first way it can do that is just by creating dependency. You can cripple their drive. You can cripple their potential by giving them too much money. If you give them, if you, uh, you know, you, it's like that butterfly in the, in the cocoon, you know, when that, when that, uh, chrysalis is fighting to get out, you know, that caterpillar is fighting to get out and try to want to be a butterfly. Now it's, it's, it's a butterfly, but it's fighting. If you actually help it out of the cocoon and you know, cut it a little bit, uh, the butterfly is going to die. It needs to fight because life is in the struggle. And so a lot of times we create situations trying to help people who are in poverty and we actually just cripple the drive and we wipe out their potential. So that's one way you can hurt people. Second thing you can do with money that hurts them is you can create divisions among these people because, you know, humans are jealous. And if one gets and the other ones don't, you didn't do them a favor. And a lot of cultures are uh, communal. And so they share things. And if you give just to one, you've actually, like, made them a target for other people that they used to, you know, live in peace with. A third thing money can do to hurt people you're trying to help is that you can destroy their self-respect. You can actually twist their hmm. you can twist their vision and their focus on life let me give you an example this is a true story uh, I, I was blessed that God trusted me to help some underground Chinese churches uh, Watchman Nee's group and uh, groups connected to the Heavenly Man and s- some other groups uh, to set up an underground Chinese seminary in Metro Manila and this was during a, a time when there was still pretty serious persecution. And there's a story that comes out of that, and it's that there's a Chinese pastor. He was in prison, I think it was for 13 years, and they did everything to try to break him down and cause him to, you know, become anything they could to twist him, even just to twist him a little bit. But in all that pressure, 13 years in prison, it could not do it. Then he got out of prison, and he became famous because of his prison time. And some foreign brothers began to visit China when things you know, loosened up a bit. And they loved this guy, and they wanted to bless him. And they bought him this really sweet, you know, expensive leather jacket. And he had never owned anything like it, and he, you know, he loved the thing. And he put it on, and it, it began to change the way he was. And he looked forward to working with these brothers and, you know, he the offerings that they would bring him, and it, it just changed him. And uh, the people in China were shaking their head, and they said, oh, what 13 years in prison could not do, one leather jacket accomplished, you know, in, like, breaking down this man's self-respect. He had left prison as, like, a king, you know, he's a man of God, unbroken, and now this little dangle of material things, it, it was more than he could take. You know, some people can handle certain temptations and other ones just get them. Uh, fourth thing money can do to hurt people you're trying to help is it can create conditions that fuel abuse of other people. I have seen in my ministry time, very sadly, uh, overseers of of countries uh, that, you know, the church church overseers in countries pretty much just destroying anybody with potential. Any, uh, you know, any talent in the body of Christ that starts to rise up to see them just like whack it down because they are trying to protect their $50 a month, 
salary plus their kids' scholarship program, you know, to the denominations, college, and nothing else matters from that moment on. So, you know, forget the ministry. They're just about that. So we have to be careful and understand money is it's not neutral. It's got all kinds of abilities to hurt people that you're actually trying to help. Another category I want to cover real quick before we even get into this passage is that, my friend, money can hurt you. When you handle other people's money, you handle ministry money, you need to be careful because that money can hurt you. One, it can redirect the focus of your life because you can find yourself running after the direction of money instead of the direction of your heart. Uh, Filipinos had an expression that says, with only two pesos in the eyes, a pastor becomes blind. And they just meant, you know, you've, you've, gotta, you've got your goals in life and you're sacrificing for the Lord and you'll do anything, you know. And then you get a little bit of money or there's some source for money. And all of a sudden your, your focus is off, you're, you're looking that way instead and you've lost your ability to see what God wants to show you. So be careful what money can do to you. It can, it can take your whole direction off of the right track. You know, it can lower your own self-dignity. You can find yourself sucking up to donors and being super, super sweet and fake nice to people that you probably wouldn't even like to be around except that they are donors. So if you lack that money, if you if you feel like, you know, you're in need of money and you, this person is your source, it, you know, it can just do that. It can lower your dignity and just cause you to become a lesser person. And then there's the other thing. If you find yourselves holding the purse strings, it can fill you with pride. I was on a board once that had the largest donor as a board member. And I mean, every other meeting, we would get this little talk from him about the golden rule. You know, the one with the gold makes all the rules. And he's talking about himself and what he and his group are going to bring in terms of, you know, donations to the group. It can just, it was a toxic um, thing to throw into a ministry circle, and it did nothing but disruption to it. Uh, fourth thing money can do to hurt you, it can entice you to become a thief a little at a time because of a lack of transparent controls. And you don't mean to be a thief. You mean to just borrow anything. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to borrow. I'm going to pay that back, and, and you just borrow and borrow. And after a while, it becomes your pattern of life is just to consider yourself you know, somehow entitled. Uh, there are millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars stolen every year in developing countries by leaders of nonprofits, um, Christian and, and uh, non-religious uh, church leaders, just after a while getting the feel like, well, this is my share, you know. And they never started that way. They, wouldn't, they were not like that in the beginning. But they didn't, they didn't have controls. They weren't transparent controls. Um, uh, I could say more about conflicts of interest and what money can do to cause you to start having tortured justifications for things that are clearly unethical. Uh, because if you get this, then there's also some, you know, like, uh, for example, uh, church construction companies are companies that specialize in constructing churches. And some of them have the unethical practice of giving the pastor, once they win the bid, they bid super low. And they give to the pastor a finder's fee, which may be huge. It may be like 3 to 5% of the total budget. I mean, it's a massive, as most, most money he's ever seen in his life. 
and they do it on the side. It's not run through the church. And they just say, we always give this. This is part of all of our salesmen, whoever brings the business, they get this. And uh, you're the one who brought it, and so we just want you to have it. And what he doesn't know is that that's a trap because they intend to continue to raise their prices. And, you know, there's always changes in a building. And they're going to they're gonna make a whole lot more money than they ever bid to make. And he's going to end up justifying them to the board over and over and over again. It's okay, you know, explaining their side of it. And it's all this very perverse business practice. So it's just scary, you know. And uh, on another point, it can bring you into personal liability. I mean, you can lose your license, your job, your position. You can end up paying fines or even go to jail because of not even stealing, misappropriation, which isn't stealing. It's just you didn't put the money where you were supposed to have put it. You might have put it even in something else that's pretty good. But if, you know, you alter, you can personally get in trouble because of money. And uh, so if you're in a situation, uh, for example, if you set up your own nonprofit and maybe in the beginning there's hardly any money in it and so your nonprofit is maybe your sister and your uncle and your wife and you make that your nonprofit, well, that might be okay in the beginning when you're just talking about a couple hundred dollars. But as... Ideas start to grow, and as money starts to come and things start to prosper, you better get some new people on your board, like real accountability on your board. Because if you're like me, I'm entrepreneurial, and I get a great idea every week, and I want to do lots of them. And I am not somebody who needs to be keeping track of money, and I don't necessarily always need to get to do everything I want to do in ministry. I need a group that will help me find an orderly way and do my due diligence before we take a step. I need people to slow me down. And leaders like that. They need structure. Um, but I have had, just in the last couple of years, I had a major donor, gave $150,000, because this group, part of the reason was, this group was confident in my board's oversight of the work that we're doing in Asia. They couldn't themselves see what was going to happen with this money, but they trusted my board's, uh, the way they hold me accountable and how transparent our financial systems are as a ministry. So you need to get good systems around your money because Judas Iscariot was originally a sincere preacher of the gospel. But he had a business mind and he had an administrative gift and he was doubtless a blessing to the disciples because most of the disciples were country boys. He's actually the only one who came from Judea, but money is corrupting. And if you've got private access to money, Without oversight and verification systems, that's going to open the door to all kinds of temptations and abuses. And that's what happened to Judas. And he began to steal, and eventually he was just consumed with a desire for money. So, all that is a background. Paul is very much aware of the power of money to create problems. But he's also very much aware that money can be a massive help. Uh, You know, churches and money, ministry and money... New initiatives, outreaches, and money, humanitarian work and money, we're locked into this dance. But it's a very complicated relationship. So money fuels ministry. It fuels uh, outreaches to kids. It fuels the ministry we run, Media Light. It fuels, I've got a friend, and he's part of our ministry circle, and his whole job is going into Laos and getting 13- and 14-year-old girls out of prostitution in the early stages of it because their family has discovered what they've fallen into, and it's it's about money. 
you know, he needs 1800 bucks to go pull that girl out of the situation and get her in school for a year. Um, and so we need money for ministry. And Paul understands that. But it's just, you know, it's like medicine. you, you got to handle it properly or you can hurt somebody with it. So that's our situation. Paul understands this is big money. They're about to dump a big pile of cash on the table. And he's going to set up policies that are going to protect the Lord's ministry and his own ministry. And the key verse is in chapter 8, verses 20 through 21. And I'll just read it to you. Paul says, avoiding this. So this is his one goal is to avoid something. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us. Verse 21, providing things honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That's really important. Providing things honorable, providing honorable things, you know, being judged honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And so he sets up some money policies. And if uh, I won't read the passage, but it's, you know, it's about five verses here, and I'm just going to lay down what his policies are. He says, first of all, money is an open subject. It is a public matter, not a secret. Paul did not allow secrecy about money. And this is a really important point. When you're talking about ministry money, this isn't our money. It's nonprofit money. It's nonprofit money, and the donors, if you're in a lot of countries that are listening to the podcast, donors in a nonprofit setup get a tax deduction from the government for their gift. That is not your money. It is charity money. It is nonprofit money. And in, um, I had the privilege to sit on a board once for about five years, and it was great learning for me because most of the people in that group we're from uh, British former Commonwealth countries. And in those countries, I mean, running a charity is no small thing because they got a thing called the Charities Commission, which is like a government watchdog group that is always sniffing at you. And it's uh, anything you buy, they want to know, are you related from that person? They just do everything they could. But their point is anything you do with nonprofit money is a public matter. It is public knowledge, and it must be available to donors. Uh, if you pay your, uh, if you pay the leader of a nonprofit, in that setup, uh, over a certain amount of money, I think it's a hundred thousand dollars a year. You have to put it in the newspaper. You know, it's got to be that open. What you're doing with money, everyone in Corinth was going to know how much money got raised and how it was dispersed because it was their gift. That's already a huge lesson because so many people make money, ministry money. A total dark secret like once it once it goes into the ministry whatever box uh, or these days you know credit card transaction it's just gone you have no idea what happened with that money uh, financial reports are really important they're important for trust and we're going to talk more about that later so that's the first thing money is an open subject to Paul number two money must be handled by multiple people and these people he names Three different people. One of them is Titus, and then he names another brother. He, he, he highlights two more brothers, but he doesn't say who they are. One brother is in verse 18. He says, the, basically, the churches have chosen, verse 19, 
for this brother, and out of modesty, doesn't say his name, but we a lot of people think it was Luke. The brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches has been chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift. And then he mentions another brother that has also come. Verse 22, another brother. So he's got three different people involved uh, watching over the way this money is being handled. So money must be handled by multiple people. And these people who are involved in the finance have to be known to the others. It's not a secret who it is. They have to be officially appointed to their position, which is what Paul's doing in this letter. He named, he says they're there. You know, these guys are standing there when this letter is read because Titus brought this letter to Corinth. Titus is standing there, and here's these two other brothers there, and Titus introduces them with Paul's official you know, appointment. They're appointed to the position. They've been carefully vetted, and they've been proven uh, in the past with other responsibilities. So that's our second point. You've got to handle money with multiple people, and they've got to, it's got to be people that are known. Third thing, money must have control systems to ensure accountability. And in verse 18, that's what, if it's Luke, I'm going to assume it is, that's what Luke is. Luke is the control. Luke is a checker who's been chosen by the donors in the region. Uh, you know, he's the outside observer to, uh, what do you say, ensure the way the money is handled for their side. Um, you know, when, when I was pastoring, which I haven't pastored for a few years now, but when I was pastoring, there's this huge, churches are amazing. You know, God's so smart. Every seven days with no product, there's this gush of cash that comes in. And so you got to deal with that. And my policies were multiple people who are unrelated are going to be involved in the count, no less than three. No pastors can be present during the counting. I had nothing. I never touched funds. Uh, no pastors could be present during the counting because we we receive finance from the church. We shouldn't be involved in counting the money. We have a conflict of interest. So multiple people unrelated involved in the count and the recording. Then the banking is done by a different person, and the deposit slip has to agree with the Sunday counters. And checks have to have two signatures, and we have to have board meetings for major expenses and. Budget has to get approved, and you got to minute your approvals, and, you know, you, you make a paper trail. Money has to have control systems. Now, here's the thing. I planted that church, and the people I planted that church with hadn't really been in church much. Most of our church, they were first-generation Christians. They didn't know what good policies were, and frankly, I didn't either. So I had to read up on, you know, proper ways to do church and nonprofit finance. And I just set it all up. Uh, I wanted to protect myself, and I wanted to protect the ministry in the future when I wasn't there. And I thought, let me set up good systems now that will stay in place because they'll become the culture after this. Okay, fourth part of Paul's, fourth part of Paul's policy. That's just too many Ps. Um, the focus is on the glory of Jesus. Okay, not the glory of Paul for getting behind this big offering drive and not the glory of the donors. You know, he didn't ask for anybody if they wanted their name written on anything in Jerusalem. You know, the focus is the glory of Jesus. It's not the glory of them and it's not the glory of Paul. And so, you know, Paul's not even going to be able to go there. You know how sometimes people will take ministry money and give it to somebody in need 
and you you can't tell if they're doing it as a ministry or if it's their personal money they're giving you, you know, because it can be, I don't know, it can just be personally tempting to take a little bit of the glory for what's being done on the basis of other people's giving. And so Paul's real clear. The focus of this uh, gift is the glory of Jesus. Number five, and this is huge, preserving trust is the most important aspect in his control system. And that's that verse I read just a minute ago, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 8. We don't want anyone to blame us in this lavish gift, verse 21. We want to provide honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, like I might feel good, I might know that God knows that I was clear on the way I handled the money. But Paul said, it's not enough. I have to do it in the sight of men. Nobody can be able to accuse me. And this is really important. This week, I was listening to a podcast, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. I learned so much through them. And this was a business specialist, and he's a guy that they call in when uh, a major personality has made a complete disaster of their life, and somebody's got to help get them back on track with the public. And he says the only problem anyone ever has is a trust problem. And some people say, no, our company just has a, a, you know, a communication problem. And he said, nope, because your communication is unclear, people don't know whether they can trust you. So it's not that you have a communication problem. You may have an issue there, but your problem is the trust in the minds of these people. Trust is huge. The loss of trust will lead to the death of your reputation. It could be the death of a whole ministry that's doing a vital work. Trust is everything. And so we have to protect trust by instituting policies that will safeguard our reputation and will create friction that will stop corruption and other forms of abuse from being able to start. Just make it hard to do. Just make it difficult. So, uh, you know, my, my takeaways from all this, one is I need to understand the sensitive nature of ministry money and the spiritual battle that will always surround it. Secondly, I need to establish clear policies that may reduce my power because, you know, if I hold this money closer to me and if I keep it a secret and if, I, if it's between me and my kids, you know, and my wife to handle this finance, that increases my personal power but at the expense of my trust. So I need to, I need to reduce my power, but it's going to get me another kind of power. It's going to, it's going to protect my trust. Uh, I told you a story uh, in an earlier podcast about me as a troubled teen. I had a group of guys that I used to hang out with, and we would challenge each other to stunts. But these stunts involved stealing things. And sometimes they were things like a policeman's hat, and sometimes it was things like a boat. And sometimes it was uh, just things from stores. But it, was, it wasn't because we needed them. It was just the challenge of the thing. And so years go on, not too many years, because I got saved when I was 18, and I was doing that for most of my early teenage years. So I get saved at 18, start walking with God. When I'm about 21, he releases me to start doing some low-level ministry. And I start remembering all those things that I had taken. And I, I remember praying and I said, oh, Lord, you know, thank you for forgiving me for that. I'm really sorry I did that. And then the Lord just reminded me, you've got to make restitution. You can't just be sorry. you got to fix, you know, clean up your mess. So began a process that lasted for a couple of years because I'd forget about things. And after that, I was married, you know, and I would remember them later. And I would have to go to stores and ask to see the manager and tell him 
what I had done and it gave me a chance to witness, you know, but it was embarrassing too. And, uh, but, but man, it, it just cleaned me out. You know, I was so humiliated every time I had to go until finally I couldn't think of anything else, you know, that I'd done like that. And that was good. Then a few years went by and Sherry and I are in the ministry and we're, you know, serving the Lord and struggling, don't have much money. But then the Lord started teaching us to be a giver. Even though we didn't have much to give, we started becoming a giver. And that was a whole other money lesson that God gave us. That's like my second phase of God teaching me about money. And then he's preparing me because 10 years later, somebody walks up to me uh, in a church Sunday school class after. It was like Sunday night, and he just said, can I talk to you and pull me into this empty Sunday school class? And he hands me a check for like 20000 bucks, And he says, just do something good with it. And that, like, that's my whole accountability. And I knew exactly what I needed to do because we were in the middle of a building program in the Philippines. Things were happening. People getting saved every week. We needed a building. And we were building one and trying to pay for it as we went. And that was what that money went to. I have stewarded millions of dollars since then. And honestly, most of it is totally unaccounted for by the donors. They just trust you, and that's the most valuable thing you have. And as you get older, your name and reputation will become worth more and more money because the trust value behind you as a person just goes up and up and up. Trust is reserved for the trustworthy. So you need good policies. Choose them now. Build trust. Build your own integrity because this is going to result in greater treasure being entrusted to you and you're going to be able to do bigger and bigger things and help more and more people. You know, this wasn't the last money Paul ever saw come through his hands. He learned to be a good steward. And if you'll be a good steward, God will trust you with more and more. And it's kind of exciting. You know, like right now I'm in the middle of what's probably a $600,000 building project. It's going to give us something for Asia and the world that you just can't find very many places creativity center in a place we can come and get clarity on your life and your focus and pick up some new skills for uh, raising up your creativity and learning to communicate at a much higher level it's i'm just so excited about what we're getting but it's it takes money and god has trusted me with that and i just want to be trustworthy and if you'll do that he'll reward you i can promise Okay, uh, hey, meet me in a Facebook group this week, Thread with Chuck Quinley, and let's discuss the many lessons that we're learning from this wonderful treasure book of 2 Corinthians. That's all for now. If you're enjoying Thread, how about sharing a podcast with your friends? Just use the buttons in the player on your screen. This week, expect God to use you because you are the light of the world.